Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm excited to be here with you all again on this Saturday evening. I'm going to go ahead and get into it tonight. If you would remain standing a moment and if you would go to Psalm chapter 139. I got to say, if you're just starting out reading the Bible and need some scriptures and things that you might want to just start looking at, man, Psalm 139 is a good one to read. Boy, such a good one. But as you're turning there, just want to mention again how thankful I am to be with this church family. Give honor to the Maxwells. You've got wonderful leadership, just wonderful people. The Briggs, just so so awesome, such awesome friends of ours. And my wife, she's involved at a at a practice for for church, and she couldn't be here tonight, but she'll be here with me tomorrow morning. But we're excited to be here. But last night, if you were here, we made a commitment to God to allow Him to grow us spiritually. There's a lot more I wanted to say, but time got away from me. But the point being is this, is that we've got a purpose on our life. Everyone here tonight, you've got a purpose for living for God. You've got what it takes to become what God has called you to be. There is a destination that God is wanting to lead you to. But for every destination, as we understand, there's a journey that must first take place. Along this journey, there's going to be good times and bad victories as well as failures. Very enjoyable things and, y'all, very hard things as well. But I'm telling you tonight, you can make it to where God is wanting to take you. My goal tonight is to encourage you. It's to equip you with what you need to keep going on this journey no matter what. And to eventually make it to where God's wanting to take you. You can get there. So Psalm 139, if you've had time to get there, it says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me, and you've known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and, and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. You know what, even I'm, what I'm even going to say. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. I want to preach tonight this title. Simply, He's still there. He's still there. Can we pray one more time before we're seated? Jesus, we love you so much, oh God. We're grateful that you have been good to us our whole life. And Lord, you're not going to quit being good to us. You have seen us in our faults, you've seen us in our failures, and yet you chose to love us. You chose to give us a destiny, a purpose, a calling, and God, you're going to help us with that tonight. Lord, I pray over every hearer of this word, let them be doers of this word. We pray in the name of Jesus, we magnify you, O oh God. Before you're seated, let's clap our hands one more time to our God. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. How many of you like going to a zoo? Raise your hand if you enjoy zoos. To me, usually the only zoos I've been to is in Louisiana. And it's like 10,000 degrees, and I don't care what they got behind the cage. I'm just ready to go home because it's too hot for all that. 
But I will say there is one animal that I don't care how many times I see it, it just seems like an alien to me. It just does not seem like it should exist on earth, and that is the giraffe. How many giraffe fans I got out there? The giraffe, it's freaky looking. I mean, it's like, where did this thing come from? It's like jellyfish. Like, they, they don't belong here. It's alien, I promise. But it's interesting if you know how a baby giraffe is born and that process for that baby giraffe whenever it first comes onto the scene in the world. There's something I want to talk about when a baby giraffe is born. The first, I mean, the very first thing a baby giraffe experiences in life is a 10-foot drop on its back. Its, born, its mama stands up and it drops 10 feet and lands on its head and on its back, and that's its first experience here on earth is a 10-foot drop. After this initial shock, this little baby giraffe rolls over to an upright position with its legs, long legs, still tucked in underneath him. And from here, he takes his first real look after the stars circle around his head have cleared away. He takes his first real look at the world and begins to, to take it all in. And as it's taking its first look around, that sweet, loving mother giraffe who just gave birth to its pre precious new baby boy giraffe, the mother looks over to the, to the young child and walks over to it. And as she looks at it lovingly, she rears back and kicks that giraffe, causing it to roll head over heels for a few feet. It's like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> Welcome to the world. It got dropped on your head and then kicked. I don't know how y'all were raised, but it couldn't have been that bad. Maybe it was. God help you. <laughs> but if the baby giraffe at this point doesn't get up, the mother kicks it again and again and again. As long as it takes for the giraffe, the baby giraffe, to finally get tired of this kicking and decides to get up on its own legs. And then right when you, so the baby giraffe gets up, it's standing, it's wobbling a little bit, but it's like, okay, mama, I'm up, I'm up. I have been welcomed to the world, thank you. But as it's standing there, taking its first standing posture in its new life, you would think the mom would come over and somehow, the way giraffes do, pat it on its back or whatever. No, you know what the mama does at this point? She rears back and she kicks the giraffe again onto the ground. You might be thinking, man, nature is wild. Yes, it is. But there's a reason to this. Why does this mom <laughs> punish the newborn babe so much, seemingly? But it's because she wants to make sure that her baby remembers how to get back up. She wants to make sure that young baby giraffe, before it goes any steps, before it takes any steps into this new world, she's got to make sure that it knows how to get back up on its, two, on its four feet and to know how to get up. She wants to make sure that whenever it gets knocked down, that it remembers that it has the ability to get up by itself. It has the ability to flee from danger when it's present because the mama knows what's ahead in that baby giraffe's life. She knows about the hyenas. She knows about the lions. She knows about the threats that are waiting to pounce at any time and take this young giraffe unawares. And she's got to be sure that her child, as soon as danger reveals itself, can get up wherever it's at and take off and flee the scene. She's got to make sure before he even takes a step, he's got to learn how to get up. It's a crucial ability. And young people, if there's one thing that you're going to have to learn how to do in your journey of life, it's how to get back up 
after falling down. It's about getting up. No matter how, times you, how many times you've been kicked, knowing how to get back up again. It's a crucial ability. It's imperative that you learn how to do it, young person. As it's been said many times, the road to success is paved with failure. You're going to get kicked down. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get it wrong and make the wrong decisions sometimes. It's going to happen. People are going to hurt you. They're going to wrong you. They're even going to disappoint you. It happens. But when these things happen, you can't afford to let them keep you down. You've got to get back up. You've got to make sure that skill set is in you. That no matter how many hard knocks of life I take, it doesn't matter how many times I've thrown, been thrown to the ground, I know that I've got it within me to get back up again. No matter how far you've fallen, young person, I promise you, you can get back up. No matter how deep in your sin and addiction you've fallen, I promise you, saint of God, you can get back up. Young man, you've been down too long. It's time to get back up. Young lady, you've been down too long. God's calling you to get back up again. You can do it. God's got a destination he's wanting to take you to. He's got a calling and a purpose for each and every one of your lives. Like that giraffe, you young lady, you young sir, you were created to stand tall. You were created to stand above the average, to stand out from the rest, to stand out from this world. You've been called to a higher purpose. But you've got to know how to get back up. Because we're going to fall sometimes. And as you journey on, you can't ever let yourself forget how to get back up. And you may say, well, Brother Stroud, I, I don't think I even know how to get back up. You don't know my situation. You know, right now you might just feel like that baby giraffe in the first part of that story where all you've been doing is being kicked. You haven't even figured out how to get up the first time right now. All you feel is the kick. All you feel is the hopelessness. All you feel is an unsure foundation, an unsure set of wobbly legs under you. You're trying to stand on your own. You're trying to, to, to put the face and the smile on, but you know you're just crushed by the pressure, crushed by the weight of your own failures of your own shame and guilt, and you're wrapped up in that. You're saying, how can I get out of this? And here I am, a preacher, trying to tell you that you've got a calling. You've got a purpose for living. You've got a purpose in the kingdom of God. And you're thinking, how can I believe I've got a calling when I know the sin that I keep giving into behind closed doors? You might be thinking, how can I get back up when I've messed up the way that I've messed up? How can I truly be called a holy, set-apart child of God when I know what it is I'm dealing with, what it is I keep going back to, what, I, what it is I keep just giving in to, how can you say that? How can I get back up when I'm full of hatred and fear, anxiety, lust, whatever? Well, I want to help you tonight, young person. You've got to learn how to get back up when you fall. And here's the first thing you need to know. And hear me when I say this. It's an important lesson you've got to know. God is never shocked by your sin. He's never shocked by it. He's never really appalled by it. He, he's never taken aback by anything we can do. There is nothing that you can do in God's green earth that's a sin that he's not already aware of it happening. He knew what he was getting into when he decided to die for your salvation and pay the penalty 
for your sins. The Bible says this, Romans 5, 5 through 8, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. That, get this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our worst state, God said, that's who I want to come and bleed and suffer pain and misery for. He saw you, yes you. He saw you in your lowest worst place of sin and get this it didn't change his mind <laughs> it didn't change his mind there's been plenty plenty of people that have changed their mind when they've seen the sin of someone but God who is eternally holy he didn't change his mind in fact that's why he made up his mind he knew that we couldn't make it without him what ties us to Christ initially is our just utter need and dependency to Him. In our weakness, He's made strong. It was our sin that He stepped down to take care of. He knew what He was getting into. He knew that without the shedding of His blood and the indwelling of His Spirit to free us, He knew that we weren't going to be able to make it. And He says, I love them enough to die for them in their sin. That's a powerful thing to come to grips with, young person. In a world where the enemy is trying to constantly throw guilt and shame at you and remind you of the habits you have, of the sins that you keep giving over to, of the things you keep in, uh, you know, enduring temptation over. When you live in that world, it's helpful to realize that God's not shocked by any of it. God's not taken aback by any of your failures. He's already put a plan in motion to take care of it. You can't extra sin in God's book. It's just sin to him. He already knew about it. Before you were even born, he knew your successes. He knew your failures. So he came in flesh to this earth. And there's so much to unpack right there that the, the God of the universe stepped into flesh. Stepped into bodies like you and I have. To come to this earth. To live as a human in the presence of of sin and temptation y'all he knew what it was like to be in a sinful world I know modern age like you're like how could it have been worse back then than it is now as, as far as all the evil that we've got at the end of our cell phones and, and all this stuff it's like man Rome was not a pretty picture when Christ was around there was sin and debauchery and there was all kinds of bad stuff going on then Jesus stepped into that world in, in flesh just like you and I are walking around right now, he understood what it's like to be in a world full of temptation, in a world full of sin. He understands what it's like to be in a human body like ours. He, he understands how much temptation and sin and trouble there is in this world. Can I tell you this? Our God is very familiar with sin. Again, he's not shocked by it, no matter how bad it gets. Hebrews 4 and 15, it says that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was, talking about Jesus, he was in all points tempted like as we are. Wow. When you think about that statement, the Bible wouldn't have put in there that he was tempted in all points like as we are if there was something missing from that list. 
This means that, and this is something that boggles my mind. Can you imagine this? God in flesh, Jesus Christ on earth, was tempted with every single type of sin there was. You name it, Jesus was tempted by it. Now, he was without sin. Don't let me paint a false picture. He was a perfect, spotless lamb. But he was tempted on every single level that any human has ever experienced. From the most casual sin to the deepest, most messed up sin, the enemy tried to throw it against Jesus' mind. He was in all points tempted like as we are. The enemy tries to tell you that you're, that you're different. Your sin is too hard and complex for God to understand. It's too messed up. It's too wicked. It's too twisted for God to take care of. No, it's not. God was tempted with it himself. He understands what it is that's going on in your mind. We know that things can happen to your mind without materializing into sin. What goes on in your mind isn't necessarily sin. Because that's where temptation begins is in the mind. So just because those thoughts try to hit you doesn't mean that you're sinning in that area. That doesn't mean that you're this or you're that because this temptation is hitting your mind. Now if that materializes, now understand that that's sin. But, but Jesus in the battle of the mind had to deal with temptation every single day that he walked this earth. I could just picture Jesus like the demons surrounding him, if they could even come close to him. I don't know, but you know that he was tempted by Satan himself. So I'd imagine there was a series of times as Jesus was growing up, Jesus as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, I'm sure the enemy was trying his best to throw those little darts of lust, throw those little darts of this and that, of pride and self-hatred or anything like that. Anything that we deal with, Jesus dealt with it. That's a powerful statement to understand. But he was without sin. He was without sin. So this means that he knew how to triumph over sin. And here's the good part. He paved the way for us. He shows that it's possible. And he'll help us get there. He'll help you. Whatever it is you're dealing with, he understands it. And he also knows how to triumph over it. And he's on our side. We can't lose. He's for us. And how will he help us do it? How is he going to help us do this? And let's keep reading Hebrews uh, 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly. Turn to your neighbor and say, boldly. Say it in a British accent. Boldly. I don't even know how that is. Good job. You did better than I could do. <coughs> Says to come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, young person, hear this. In your time of need, when we're down and we need to get back up, we have something available to help us. We have something called the mercy and the grace of God. And it says in His Word that we can boldly come to God with our sin. Why is that? It says here that we can find grace to help. Hear this, in time of need. Let me ask y'all, let me ask this second row over here. When is the biggest time that you need grace and mercy? Anybody from the second row? When do you need mercy the most? Huh? Every day? Sure, I'll take it. But you need mercy most when you've messed up. When you've just sinned. I'm talking about one second after you mess up again. That's when you need mercy most. And the Word says, God said, not some 
you know, pseudo-spiritual guru that just misinterprets Scripture. God says plainly, it says, approach the throne of grace in your time of need. That means when you've just messed up, young person. Young man, when you fall into the same thing over and over again, you've done it 10,001 times, a second after that, you can approach God boldly with it and obtain mercy to help. Man, that's powerful. By this scripture, he's already told us that we can come to him even when we have just messed up. And this, this step, I'm trying to help y'all tonight, this step is crucial. You have to learn, hear me, you have to learn to take everything to Jesus. Take everything to him. The good stuff and the bad stuff. I'll share a story of me, and, and actually at the altar call last night, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I think I alluded to this story, but uh, as I was talking last night, whenever I decided to spiritually kind of, you know, get better, make myself better and grow up, so to speak, uh, I remember I was struggling with how to pray, y'all. Anybody else struggle to pray? Raise your hand if you just can admit to it. Yeah, look, I still struggle to pray because flesh don't want to do it. That's kind of how it works, but we do it anyway. But I remember in my, first, in my journey of really wanting to live for God, I didn't really know how to pray that well. I heard people praying in the prayer room, and, and to me, it sounded like I needed to pray with just these like catchphrases, these keywords like, you are holy, Lord, worthy is your name, thou art glorified, thou art holy and worthy. And I, it's like I'm saying that, it's like that ain't me, but I guess that's how you pray. And I remember it was at uh, youth camp one time, and it was kind of everybody was tearing at the altar. Most people had left and went and played basketball. But I was really desperate. I really wanted to do it right. But it's like, God, I don't know how to, I don't know really how to pray. So I was over there in a pew. I could take you to the pew in the spot. I was by myself. And, y'all, I was trying to pray. I was saying my thou arts and you arts and thou art worthy, O Lord. And just not, and I was getting more and more frustrated. I was getting more and more angry. I'm, I'm sitting there trying to pray and I'm getting angry. And finally, y'all, I just said out loud, I said it with frustration and anger to our God. I said, Lord, I don't know how to talk to you. And then immediately, y'all, I heard God whisper in my spirit, you just did. <laughs> what? <laughs> and from that moment on, it's just like the light bulb went off in my brain. I learned that scripture. It says that he is a very present help. He's, he, what I learned right there in that moment, he was right there. He wasn't this distant God that I had to, to say vows and these and the right words. I literally, even, it was, even if it was frustration and anger, my first real prayer to him was just me. I talked to him like I'd talk to anybody else. And y'all, it's like a light bulb went off on my head that I can just talk to Jesus as if he's right there. And as I journeyed on in life, I learned that he stays there with you through the bad and the good. If you're willing to talk to him, he's willing to listen to you. I learned that, that my failures, they didn't cause him to leave me. He was still there. You know what I learned I can do? Talking about, you know, approaching the throne of grace boldly. Y'all, I learned that even when I was, you know, at right, you know, leading to sin and making a big screw up and a big mistake... I could talk to him right then. And I learned that I can immediately, and it seems so weird how you can sin and then within 30 seconds be speaking in tongues. Because the presence of God does not leave you. That's the lie that we tell ourselves is that, and that, that's, and 
jumping ahead, that's, that's, that's the danger of sin. The danger of sin, and, and don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not trying to get off wacky in this, but the danger of sin is not the sin itself. Yes, we know sin's dangerous, but the danger of sin, young person, is not sin itself because the sin has been already conquered by Jesus. If you've repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and have received the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, you've already obeyed the plan of salvation that frees you from the penalty and the, the power of sin. It's already been conquered. And I'll tell you this, if you've not received the Holy Ghost, if you've not been baptized, this is the church that preaches that. You can have that experience tonight, I promise you. It's a free gift. If you want it, God will give it to you. You don't have to earn it, you just got to ask for it and receive it. But no, the danger of sin isn't the sin itself. Listen, young person, the danger of sin in your life is, it, is you letting that sin keep you from a relationship with Jesus. We, all, we let Satan or, or even ourselves convince us to keep away from Jesus when we've just screwed up. And it's easy to do. We know what the Bible says about things. We know what the pastor's preaching, what youth pastor's preaching, and yet we see ourselves failing again. And in that moment, all we feel is the guilt, the shame, that I can't believe I've done this again, the why me, God, why do I have to deal with this? Why, didn't I, why did I make that choice? Why am I with this person? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? Whatever it is. And we feel like because we have done something bad, just like that little kid, that has a wound in its hand, doesn't want to show mama, just clutches it to its chest. It's like we want to step away from the only one that can help us in that situation. And the enemy loves to step in that moment of sin that's already been conquered and convince you that you can't approach God, that you can't go to the altar, that you can't lift your hands in service and praise Him, that you can't reach out to someone at, at your school because you know what you've done. I'm saying that the enemy, that's where he tries to get his talons in you, so to speak. It's convincing you that you can't approach God when you sin. Can I remind you again? That's the whole reason God came in the first place. Because he saw you in your sin. That's what drew him to you. It's never going to cast him off of you. Your failures can never cancel out the calling and the destiny on your life if you won't let it. Doesn't have the power to do it. Don't believe me? Well, look at Samson. Samson had a bad lust problem. He was a womanizer. Jonah ran away from his calling and then got mad about God saving people. David had an affair and then had a man killed to cover it up. Paul heavily persecuted Christians and held the coats of the ones that murdered Stephen. They had failures. They had disgusting sins. They had things that would make anyone cringe and would never want to approach a holy God and explain to Him what just happened. But they took it to God. And you know what? He was still there with them. He's still there. He's still there. You have to remember, young person, and never let the enemy take away this principle from deep within your heart. God will never stop loving you. Point to yourself and say, God will never stop loving me. God will never stop loving me. That's a hard thing to, to be convinced of because we live with ourselves. We see ourselves in the mirror. It's hard for us to love us. How can a holy God love someone who doesn't even love themselves? But I'm telling you, it's real. There's nothing that God 
that we can ever do that God won't love us anyway. Because of this fact, because of his love for this young person, you are more than conquerors. The Bible says in Romans 8, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of his never-ending love, young person, you can always get back up. Because of the simple fact that Jesus loves you, even at your point of sin, you have a reason to get back up on your own feet you have a reason to say I can hang my head up high I'm still a child of God I'm still called I'm still chosen I'm still separate I still got purpose Psalm 23 beautiful passage of scripture it says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and it skips down to verse 4 it says yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death we know this very well I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Man, when you know God's with you, when you know God is there, when the enemy's trying to separate you and God, when you know that even in your darkest, worst moment of sin, that God's there ready for you to reach out to, if you would stop letting yourself distance yourself from the house of God, from the presence of God, from the word of God because of what you've done, if you will learn to immediately take your sin to God, it's going to save you a lot of heartache. That's where lives get ruined, is they let forgiven sin separate them. We always hear that sin separates you from God. That was the big issue. We could not approach a holy God with sin in our lives. So he dealt with the sin. He opened the channel. He opened the door for us to have relationship with him. But here's the thing. When sin happens, it can still separate us from his presence if we let it. Young person, don't let it. You approach boldly to the throne of grace in your time of need. As many times as you mess up, you fall down 7,000 times, get back up one more time and go straight to God. Go straight to God with your deepest, darkest pain, your deepest, darkest sin, whatever you're going through, whatever you're thinking about. I promise you, you can take it to God. In your moment of temptation, you can talk to God plainly. Lord, right now I'm being tempted with blank. And you can name anything in that list, and God's not going to just whoop, evaporate from the room, so to speak. He's going to stay with you. That's what he wants from us, y'all. That's what he came for. He came because he knew that we're going to get messed up a lot. And we need him, and he wants to be with us. He says, that's not enough. You've not done enough for me to, to not want to be with you. You'll never do too much sin for God not to be, want to be with you. And if you can understand that, there's so much heartache you could avoid. I've seen too many people get convinced that they can't approach God because of what they've done. And so they let themselves feel that guilt and that shame and say, I'm not worthy of God's presence. I'm not worthy to come to church. I'm not worthy to go to the altar. Uh, what will people think of me? What will this person think of me? What will I think of me? I know what I've done. How can I lift my hands knowing what these hands have done? And that's the danger. That's what we've got to make sure that we can get back up from. Because there are, there are dangers waiting in the reeds. There are lions. There are hyenas, so to speak, waiting to pounce on those that, ref that don't get up when they can. That's what takes it. 
I want to help y'all tonight. I got, I got an illustration of my, the three guys that can help me uh, that agreed to help me. Thank y'all. Y'all come on up. It says in Psalm 23 and 6, don't just stay there for a second, guys. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These guys are going to help me tonight. Your name's Joseph, right? Everybody say, hey, Joseph. This is a good guy right here. I can tell. He said like two words to me, but it was with a smile on his face, so I think they think he's good. Y'all, Joseph tonight, my friend Joseph, he's going to represent all of us tonight, okay? Just got a, a quick demonstration talking about goodness and mercy or grace and mercy. I want to help you, young person. This is going to help you. But he represents just every one of us. And right now, if these two guys could come over to my left side, just left side for right now. I'll introduce them in a second. They're just, they're nothing to you right now. You just don't look at them. <laughs> but Joseph right now, he's by himself over here, and he represents every one of us before God found us. Wrapped up in sin, wrapped up in iniquity, all that bad stuff, you know, just like everybody else's experience. So Joseph's in that point in this example. So here's the deal. Joseph comes to church, he hears the message, he gets baptized in Jesus' name, God fills him with the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, way to go Joseph. And here's the thing, let me introduce you to two characters that then appear on the scene at that point. Let me introduce you to Brother Grace, and this is Brother Mercy. Oh, Brother Grace and Brother Mercy. The Bible says that surely goodness or grace and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So guys, if y'all would get behind Brother Joseph here. When you're born again, God equips you. He puts at your back grace and mercy. Now, here's how it works. It says, the Bible says that grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. So that means as Joseph starts walking along, these guys follow right behind him. Come on, go back the other way. Y'all follow him. Everywhere Joseph goes, grace and mercy's right there. Joseph, come back to me. Start walking back towards me. I told, he told me I could do this. What, what just happened? He stumbled and guess what caught him? Come towards me again. Uh-oh, life tripped you up again. You messed up again. Caught by grace and mercy again. You see what's happening here? Young person, here's the thing. When God's equipped you with grace and mercy, anytime you fall, you don't completely fall because you've got grace, you've got mercy following you. Everywhere you go, you just got to keep pushing. Keep walking towards me. Anytime you get pushed back, you'll get caught. You just skip back up again. You get back up again, get back up again. That's the cool part of grace and mercy, young person. Wherever you go, no matter how many times you fall, their job is to catch you. That's what I told him. Y'all just don't let Joseph fall. That'd be very embarrassing. But even if he did, he could get back up. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, too. Let's say Joseph is coming along. Here's another cool aspect of grace and mercy. Is that any time the enemy tries to rob you of the joy of the journey and how far you've come by reminding you of what you used to be. We found Joseph over there. So when the enemy comes up to Joseph, he's like, Joseph, come here. I want you to, you think you're so big and bad and progressing all this way in God. I want you to turn around and look what you used to be. The thing is, when you turn around and, the, and Satan tries to show you what you used to be, all you can see is the grace and the mercy of God. It's blocking the path. When the enemy would love to point at what you used to be, all you see, because goodness and mercy is following you all your life, when you turn around, instead of seeing the mistake, you see the process that God took you through. Instead of seeing what the sinner you were, you see what God has done in your life. Hallelujah. But y'all, there's a danger here. 
There's a danger here. Young person, please pay attention to this. We're almost done, but let me get this point through. Let's say you've fallen again, and I want you all to just hold on to them, okay? Just don't get back up. Just hold on to them. Fall back into their arms. Okay. At this point right here, this is a trap, okay? And you'd be like, how in the world can it be a trap to be wrapped up in the grace and mercy of God? Now, here's the deal. It's comfortable in the arms of grace and mercy. There's no judgment in the arms of grace and mercy, nor shall there be, and nor should there be. But there's also no challenge being wrapped up in the grace and mercy. Because here's the thing. Take this example. Grace and mercy, the sinner that became the saint, he's fallen, he's in the arms of mercy. He's fallen down, but he's not destroyed because grace and mercy has kept him up. But now me in this scenario, now picture me as the Holy Ghost, so to speak, as as something, a higher calling, a higher purpose. I'm over here, and as he's walking, grace and mercy are behind him, but the challenge of the calling, the pull of righteousness, the pull of righteous living is before him, leading him, urging him to come on. Don't come on yet. You're staying in their arms. Here's the thing. Grace and mercy are not God. They're just attributes of God. So many people are wrapped up in thinking they have a relationship with God, but all they have a relationship with is His grace and His mercy. They're cycling over and over again. They're never making any attempt to escape sin, escape their habits, escape anything or progress in Him, but they feel like they're good because every time they look around, they feel the grace and mercy because that never leaves. But here's the thing. This is the danger, is that God's purpose for giving you grace and mercy is so that you can have a relationship with him, so that you can keep coming forward. So while the Spirit's over him beckoning Joseph to, call, to come, if he never lets himself get back up and progress, then the Spirit of God, the calling, everything that God had for him, that destination he's wanting to take you to, young person, it never gets realized because you thought that your whole walk with God was just you messing up and repenting, messing up and repenting and never growing. Again, like we talked about last night, so it's crucial for you and your walk with God to realize that if I'm ever just having a relationship with the mercy of God and I'm not being challenged by Him and growing in Him, there's a problem. So how it's supposed to look is you follow me. As they follow you, you follow the Spirit. You follow the calling. And as you go, you're going to get messed up. You're going to fall. But get back up. Keep walking. Keep chasing it. Y'all can sit back down. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. It might be a silly example, but I hope that paints a picture for you. The goal is to keep on moving. The goal is to keep getting back up. You've got help. You've got a God that understands your sin, that will love you no matter what you do, but it's up to you to get back up and to keep following after the Spirit of God. I remember going to a, a circus years ago and I remember seeing the trapeze artists. Anybody ever seen those trapeze people? They can, it's phenomenal what they can do, and they can flip around and then catch that bar and somehow not die. Uh, if you get me up, I would die on the way up the ladder. I mean, that's, that's how uncorded I am. I wouldn't even get up there. But it's amazing to see how they've honed their craft and honed their talent to that, to that level. But if you'll notice, uh, if, if you ever go to them training, for that big performance at the circus, when they're training, they've got that big safety net at the bottom, right? 
And what that safety net is there for, can you imagine first out starting or first starting to be a trapeze artist and not having a safety net? Man, you better learn quick. <laughs> but what the safety net is for is it provides an atmosphere for them to train and learn their craft in safety. If they fall off, the safety net catches them, and then they climb back up the ladder, they try again. And as they go, they get stronger, they get wiser, they get physically better, they get better at their craft, they get better at what they were here to do on earth. It's the same way grace and mercy operates, y'all. It's set up so that you can keep progressing, you can keep growing, you can keep reaching for a calling, all the while falling. That's beautiful to me. That there's progress made even though they keep falling. Because they just, they get caught and then they climb back up. But here's the thing, you've got to get back on the ladder and start climbing. Some of you, I think you've been convinced because you've tried to climb the ladder, because you've tried to reach for something more in your walk with God, and you take a few steps, and then you get pulled back down into a sin, and you think, well, that didn't go very well. I guess I'm not cut out to be this. I guess I'm not good enough to live for God, or good enough to sing on the praise team, or good enough to go to the altar and lift my hands, because you try before, and you get victory on Sunday on this camp season, and then three weeks later, you're back in the same old thing. You're like, well, here I am again. I guess what's the point in growing what's the point in trying this out and you're there in the safety net just kind of bouncing and the enemy's convinced you that's all that's all you're good for is just staying down at the bottom but God's trying to reach for you saying that's the whole point of that is that no matter how many times you fall you can get up climb the ladder and grow stronger that's what God's calling us to do tonight can we stand coming quickly to a close I'm here to tell you, you have no reason, there's no sin big enough for you not to make progress in your walk with God. You don't have to start over every time you sin. You don't have to lay again the foundation of repentance. Every, you, you need to repent, obviously. I'm not saying don't repent. We've got to repent every single day. Y'all get me when I say that. But we don't have to start back from the beginning. You don't have to reach for a calling and do good for six months and then, and then fall completely. And, you know, you gotta, you got to work through the process. But that doesn't mean, God doesn't give you just one chance to do something. The gifts of God, they're without repentance. The calling of God, it's for life. It's what he puts on you. He always has a path to put you back where you need to be. But it's up to you to get off the safety net. It's up to you to get back up. It's up to you to get out of the arms of grace and mercy and not confuse that for a relationship with God and keep moving towards him. You've got a purpose. Tonight is your night to get back up. Young man, I don't know what it is you've been wrapped up with, but it's not bad enough for God to be able to restore you tonight. He can restore you. Young lady, I don't know what you've done. I don't know how bad it's gotten, but it's not bad enough for God to be able to restore you tonight. God can take whatever it is you've done, and he can turn it to beauty. He can take ashes and turn it into something beautiful. The blood still works. There is therefore now no condemnation that them that are in Christ You've got the ability to get back up. Never forget how to do it. It's time to get back up. It's time to get back up. In Mark 4, it talks about the disciples with Jesus. He told them, let's go on to the other side of this lake. And as they were traversing, a storm came and, and freaked them all out. And, and they knew Jesus was with them, but he was in the bottom of the boat or in the hinder parts of the boat. And Jesus was asleep. 
And they're like, okay, I know Jesus is here with me, but I need him here with me, like up above deck. I need him in the middle of the storm with me. And you know what they did? They went and they woke up Jesus. In their moment of desperation, their faith wavered just a little bit. They knew he was with them. And you may know that God's with you, and you understand what I'm saying. You're like, yeah, I know God's with me, but this storm's still going. I know I'm supposed to have quiet and silent faith, and, and, but, but I'm desperate here. I cannot handle this storm by myself. I'm not able to. I don't know if I can make it to the other side. Here's, can, I, can I just release you tonight? It's okay to wake the master. It's okay to wake up Jesus. You know, in this example, like Jesus wakes up and he kind of reprimands the disciples. He's like, where's your faith? And I'm sure they're just kind of like kicking the floor like, I know Jesus, but we were scared. And we feel like that sometimes. It's like, man, we know better. We know better than to let this storm get us like it's getting us. But I'm going to tell you something. God's always willing to be that present help to you. It's okay to wake the master tonight. Young person, if you're in the middle of a storm that you don't know if you're going to be able to get to the other side. Up until that point, the disciples didn't know that Jesus had control of the wind and the water. Because after he spoke to the storm and caused it to be still, they looked at each other and said, what, what manner of man is this that he commands the wind and the waves to obey him? You see, up until that point, they only had a certain dimension of faith. But when they got to the other side of that lake, they then had a newfound revelation of the power of God that can work in their lives. They knew that he's a God that even controls the storms. What I'm telling you tonight is that you can wake the master. You can get back up. He is a very present help. If you've been battling something and you don't know how to get through it, you can reach out to God right now. He's not going to be appalled by you. He's not going to be offended at you. He's going to be right there. He's willing to wake up and speak to your storm right now. All you have to do is begin to cry out to Him. If you're tired of dealing with this stuff alone, if you're tired of dealing with the same old sin, the same old thoughts, the same old anxieties and fears and self-hatred, self-harm, what Whatever it is you're going through, if you're tired of that, if you're tired of that storm, at any point in time, you can reach out to God because He's still there. He's still there. He's still there. Can we begin to seek God right now? I'm going to invite, if there's anyone that's in the middle of a storm, if there's anyone that can admit and say that you might be feeling a little bit down tonight, I'm not going to make you come by yourself, but if we could, can everyone in this place that's willing begin to come down to the altar? Begin to come down. Because if you're not falling right now, I'm telling you there's a time where you're going to slip up. I'm not predicting that. I'm not trying to prophesy sin in your life. No, God forbid. But I'm telling you this. When you do fall, you've got help waiting. When you do fall, God is still there. Young person, when you mess up again, God is right there. All you need to do is reach out to Him and say, Lord, I need you. God, here is my sin. Lord, here is what I'm dealing with. Nobody looking around. If you could just close your eyes, begin to focus on Jesus right now. Young person, Take this moment seriously, if you will. We're about to get out of here. The young person, if you would, separate yourself from the vision of, of other people. Close your eyes. Begin to think of Jesus. Begin to think of your own life. I know it may be hard to start drumming up the things you've messed up with, but what I want you to do, what I want you to do is begin to talk to the Lord. You don't have to do it out loud, but I want you to be very, very open and honest with God and say, Lord, 
I'm dealing with this. And then I want you to talk with Jesus about your, what you're dealing with. If it has to be internally so nobody can hear you, I get it. But you need to take it to God right now and say, Lord, I can't handle this on my own. I can't handle this without you. I need your help. It's okay to wake the master right now. But if you would, if you feel comfortable, raise your hands. Begin to talk to God. Begin to cry out to him. Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to step in. I need you to help me. Because I promise you, He's right there. He's there with you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to let anything come between His love for you. But you've got to reach. You've got to get back up. You've got to admit that you need that help. You've got to admit that you need His grace and mercy to pick you back up. But you've got to make the move, young person. You don't have to have it all figured out. But what you do need to do is make a move toward Him. You need to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, oh God. I need you, Jesus. Well, let's just spend some time talking to him right now. Let's spend some time in this altar reaching for him. He's here. He's still there.